0: This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Hi, I'm Rosie Ingle and you're very welcome to Back to Yours, a podcast where I knock on the doors of some big names to tell the story of their lives through the houses they've lived in. Coming up in future episodes, I'm going to be ringing the bells of Catlin Moran and Amy Huberman. You won't want to miss those episodes, so keep an ear out when new shows land every Tuesday. So far, I've gone back to yours with Dolly Alderton, Rose McGowan, Paul Howard and John Boyne. And in this episode, I visit the home of Irish music legend Liam Hot Hothouse Flowers frontman and mystical muso. I've admired Liam for a long time and it was great to sit down with him for a chat about home. In a sitting room, actually, where we talked is his grandfather's piano, which James Joyce played one time. So he talks all about that. I've interviewed Liam before and he once told me that he had a high tolerance for squalor in his youth. Now, he's since cleaned up his act, he says, but the memories of those days are still quite fresh, as you'll hear.
1: remember so there was a jar of something <laughs> and this great orange fungal thing had grown because it it looked so good there are colours that tell you no and there are colours that tell you yes yeah and this this was
0: was, telling you yes
1: it told me yes it didn't do me any harm it didn't do me good
0: I went along to Liam's house it's so close to the Lewis and Dundrum that you could throw a bower on from his house and you'd hit the tracks and I had a great time talking to him about his music, art, his old piano and about what home means to him I really think you're going to enjoy this
1: Hello, Liam. Come in, thanks
0: for having us. Yeah. So, Liam, we're here in your house. Yeah. It's an excellent location, is the first thing that I have to remark it, upon.
1: Yeah, we're we're very lucky about that for city life. Anyway, it's it's right on the Lewis Station. Yeah, so yeah. And Pema goes to school in Randall and Keen went to school in Randall as well. So it's like an elevator. handy. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to have a little whistle stop yeah. mini tour of the place. Up the so house. Over there, what is this room here? It's very packed with stuff.
1: It's very packed with stuff. That was Pema's room. And now it's got kind of all my stuff, all my instruments and drawings, paintings and some clothes and stuff like that. It's kind of, we're we're constantly evolving.
0: Yes, as you do when you have kids.
1: My grandfather's piano is in the living room there. Yeah,
0: that's beautiful.
1: That was my mother's as well. And that's what I learned on.
0: Uh, it's a Beckstein I was pronouncing it right yeah Beckstein Beckstein yeah. yeah I knew I'd get it wrong uh, how long uh, How long has that been around I mean, it's uh,
1: 18 something it was made grandad I think he bought it beginning of 1900 amazing. came to Dublin picked it up
0: and it's beautiful because it's one of those ones that has the little candlesticks and yeah. he decides you can imagine back in the day yeah when they had the candles in James
1: Joyce played that piano oh. Yeah, he came in to my granddad's house in in Galway. And cuz my granddad had a cousin who was a singer. Um there was a famous singer called Margaret Burke Sheridan. Yeah. And then my she was friends with Maggie Lydon, who was my my grandfather's cousin. Nice. And um and so Joyce came in. Joyce was a, was a singer. And a loving, I didn't know he was a singer. He was a singer and he he might have even been I was at a festival in Sligo where they were discussing Joyce and Leonard Cohen. And Leonard Cohen was a novelist who became a singer and Joyce was a singer who became a yeah, novelist. Yeah, yeah. And um yeah, he was a singer. He was he competed um but he did the fesh kill type thing.
0: Is you know, that what he did? Well wow. he
1: competed with McCormack. and um I think the thing about Joyce was he was lazy a lazy reader. He was he could sing as good as anybody, but his reading was was where he fell short. Ah. Sight reading, like yeah. so, you know, he could, That was apparently so. Anyway,
0: if he had had that together, he would
1: have. He might have it. been if he wanted. We wouldn't you know. have had
0: Ulysses, maybe.
1: We wouldn't, and he mightn't <laughs> have wanted to. You know, he might yeah. have. It, it, I, but it seemed like it was. He well, he, I guess he always sang and played. You know, the guitar. His guitar is in the in the tower in in Sandy Cove. Mm. That's the kitchen there. Oh, yeah,
0: kitchen. Um, okay. Lovely, there's
1: a lovely bright. Uh, it's very bright. At the end.
0: It's cold, but it's bright. Yeah. <laughs> and now we find you in here cooking up a storm, Liam.
1: Um, when I'm. No. It's toast. <laughs> the odd bit of toast. <laughs> I
0: love the way you were going to lie. <laughs> yeah,
1: though. I was going to lie. I really and I thought better this. of it.
0: Because lo- <laughs> someone's going to hear this and go, what?
1: The <laughs> strike me down. yeah. It's so um, a bit of
0: toast, an egg.
1: The odd egg. The odd spud. Yeah. I've. Um, I mean, I can cook, but but it's ter- it's a territorial issue, you know. It's Marion's spot. I think she she kind and of. And she's pref- an excellent. I she's a great cook. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I put my mind to something, I, I I'm good at it, but it doesn't happen too often. Yeah.
0: Now I'm intrigued by this space here, which is um, Sacred Heart of Jesus uh, yeah, picture,
1: and loads of loads of rosaries and loads of rosaries. Well, it's just there. I think that again that came from that came from my mother's house. Or my grand—I think my grandmother, like they, we got given loads of pictures just to try and save our souls. I don't know how how that's going on, but uh, (laughs) how that's working out.
0: It's that cultural thing of you know Irish houses having the same art, and then JFK and
1: yeah. I sang at JFK's sister's wake, so I was in one of their houses. Yeah, in in Hyannis Port. So that was quite amazing because it was like. What was her name? Uh, Shriver. Maria's her daughter. Oh, the daughter, okay. Yeah, who married Arnold. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then
0: they split up, I think, did
1: like they? They split up, yeah. yeah. But he was at the he was at the wake and it was funny, <laughs> you know.
0: Singing for Arnold, she wasn't like
1: to Yeah, well, you know, and it was funnier when we arrived. There was a European kinship. Like, he just kind of made a statement, oh, the Irish have arrived. And there was in the way, there was something about the tone in which he said it. There was a kinship there. Yeah. I don't know. It's funny. And the last person I expected to, to feel kinship with, but it really was there. Like I mean, and it was Glenn Hansard and myself um, were asked. I think it was via Bono was, was his good friends with with Bobby Kennedy and uh, and and I think Bono said you should get on Wainley to to do you proper Irish wake. You know, sing some old Shano songs and. And so the next thing there was a call, what are you doing tomorrow? It's oh, 2009. And Oprah Winfrey was like no. at the couch with, with the daughters. And it was very cosy, really cosy. And, and
0: did you do the full on? So?
1: Well, we'd, we, it was just like a, you know, a, ga, a session like where, yeah, I sang some Shanno songs, but we sang some Van songs and we, there was a piano there. And we just we just kind of pulled them out, pulled out a few songs. And you know there was like the shadows. Obviously, it's a it's got a poignant power. So you know there was moments where we stood close to the coffin and and kind of offered offered one of the more serious um, songs to 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 the dead.
0: This other painting is catching my eye, Liam. Oh yeah, it's, it looks like a Native American person. Yeah, it's that?
1: a Navajo woman. Yeah. yeah, I did that. You did. Yeah. I, didn't know you as well. I do it's a thing i've i've done a long time
0: and why are you particularly interested in and
1: all that? i love i think i think those cultures you know they they're they're they don't have they don't have the dollar on their altar it's that's a means to an end their the, the nature and each other is central to their belief system and i think we've all been those kind of people musicians i think we connect with the mystery because we make music which is invisible and it moves bodies and it moves spirits, it moves, you know, makes you cry, makes you laugh, makes you feel. And so we're still kind of have a feeling for that. And um, Aboriginal cultures of any kind, I think, are so precious. We'll be asking them questions, hopefully sooner than rather than later, as to how to proceed in this crazy time. And um, yeah, I think they're, they're they have... They have answers, you know.
0: Okay, well, we have a little sit down and some cake.
1: No, sit down and a bit of cake
0: and uh, a bit of a chat about other homes. Escape the ordinary with Green and Blacks, sponsor of Back to Yours, made with the finest ingredients and ethically sourced cocoa. Discover your favourite flavour from the range, which includes seventy percent cocoa, roasted almond, salted caramel, sea salt, and mint. So, Liam. Can you tell me about your first home that you remember and the memories of that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um grew up in Clonski and that was that was the home. We never moved actually until you know, until I moved out, that was home and um Klonsky was backed onto the Dodder River, so that was nice. Um in the at the in the earlier days it was um it was quite wild and we weren't allowed to go down. We did go down, but we weren't allowed to go down. Was apparently a lot of rodents and stuff never saw them. But um wild, wild kind of place and you know, parents like to keep you away from that kind of those opportunities. But uh yeah, and those White Road was um it wasn't the most neighbourly place, um really. Uh you know, I think squinting windows, kind of middle class. Uh, and we were kind of Irish. We were Gaelic people. And uh, we were kind of looked down upon in the neighbourhood a little bit. Um, it was a funny occasion where I had a noose put around my neck. And we were, so it was a little kangaroo court put together for myself and my brother and, and another guy. And, uh, and I sort of... Um, yeah, I only heard recently I was listening to Free Thought FM, Garrett Phelan, who's an artist who basically there was radio 105.2, I think was the was the wavelength. And they broadcast really interesting conversations with uh, educators, mostly all kinds of and traveling people and different people on different sides of or parts of Ireland and, and per, particularly Dublin. And it was about education and educational opportunities. But it was like an art project. But it was live radio and it was 24 hours. And one of the conversations was an English fellow who was a, a geography teacher, professor in Maynooth. And he talked about Dublin. And like Irish people weren't allowed in Dublin after a certain time that you were if you took your life. Re, you re, you, the law didn't protect you if you were Irish in Dublin, and that was a reality. You mean uh, like people
0: speaking Irish and
1: Irish people? Yeah, yeah you know, you, if you weren't from the aristocracy of the, the, Jeez. the yeah, uh, Anglo and, and Anglo-Saxon and and also the the Vikings and, not the, the Normans? They, they all had the stronghold, and and the native Irish people were were like the marginalised, and they were the there was a curfew for them in, in the city. And so even as late as the building of um, Crampton's, the building of this estate that we lived on, there was a clause in the deeds. This was built in the early 20th century, 1940s maybe. And the deeds said, you know, to discourage Irish Catholic people from living in the area. It was kind of it was the thing. So it was kind of, in, in, you know, in, ingrained in the in the structure of the place. And I mean, we didn't notice. We you grew up in a place and we all played in this kind of big gang. And some of us were closer than others. And, and we used to just play football, fight, light fires, all that kind of thing and um, have adventures, but I kind of noticed the grown ups didn't hang out. And it was kind of frustrating for us because we were friends with all the kids. But the grown-ups weren't backing it up, you know. So. They weren't mixing. Yeah.
0: And what about your own home then? The kind of home that your parents created. What was it? What was it like?
1: Well, it was it was to, um, an, a, a woman from Galway and a man from Cork, and trying to. I think I think every time a family is made, they reinvent it. They have to, you know. There's always a certain amount of reinvention. Every time you reach a certain age, you reinvent that age. Every time. You know, it's 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 just every individual has their own take on on what what it is, and there's only so much somebody can tell you. You've got to you've got to make decisions yourself, and that's family. And so they were trying to reinvent family outside of where they grew up. Like Dad would have been part of a community in Cork, quite a rural community, farming community. Mum as well would have been. Kind of Galway City, but outside outside the city to a certain degree. In Galway, being very community as well, and suddenly they're in Dublin, and she was an actress, so her community were scattered all over the city, and and Dad's community, he was an engineer, but also kind of strong in the Irish movement of of language and culture and reinventing the the the, the country, mm. and um, so they were very much. About, I mean, they were, the, the Dubliners were ha- happening. planksty was happening. Sean O'Riatha was happening when they were kind of in their youthful prime, I suppose. And, and their family was just beginning. And so we were around that. There was a lot of nightlife in the house. Um, and we were often brought down to sing and form and do whatever we could do. And
0: uh, did you enjoy that? Was that kind of a... Uh
1: Kind of did. I mean, there was times when, you could, uh, yes, but was, no, in general, you know, kind of always felt, enjoyed the performing thing. And the, that piano was in the house and I used to get lost in it playing and uh, and then got involved in traditional music and competing. And that bringing you somewhere, that moving you to Galway or to Tralee or to Ennis or to Athlone or, or anywhere else. You know, if the final was there, that's where you went. If you if you won your competition, you got to there. And as a, as a boy, there was a great um freedom in that realisation. And then when a little bit older, playing, playing to make a few quid. You know, I was I had a summer job one year um and I was making like th- 13 pounds a month selling cookery books. And uh, I took my tin whistle into town one day. And I made more in a day than I did in the whole month. <laughs> £20 I made in a day. And that was the general. And that was loads of money. And that, that was about 200
0: yeah. euro. You were rich. Like, yeah, that that was amazing. It, so did you kind of go, OK, feck the cookery books?
1: Well, I did. Yeah, yeah. I never <laughs> went back to that. Um, and like my parents found out I was doing it. They didn't like it at that time. So that wasn't great. What so, age were you? I was 15. OK, so, but I mean, it definitely, I never looked back in a way I knew I can always put food on the table, you know, and. And that, they'd
0: obviously got you lessons, had they? I mean, is that, was that something that they had been very keen on making sure that.
1: Music was around. Dad had, Dad had taught me to sing Irish songs and school, schooling was Gael, Gaelic, you know, was Gail Gael's with music, strong music current going through it. Which, which again, you re- reinvented yourself, the the being of a of a traditional Irish musician, um, and then we yeah there was a woman down the road who I went to for piano lessons, which I didn't like. I didn't like the the exam system, the grade system. I didn't like it. I, I hated Tuesdays because of piano lessons, but luckily I love piano more than than. I didn't like the lessons and I mean, she was great and and, and everything, but it was just too intense mm. for me. And I think I think she thought I could read better than I could. So there was this kind of silent misunderstanding that I was looking blankly at a page. But I, as soon as I'd hear the tune, I could play the tune a bit. So it appeared that I could read better than I could. Okay. And so that created an awful weight.
0: Yeah. When you start, did start busking properly, you know, and actually, you know, when your parents couldn't really say anything yeah. about it, did you, were you living at home then or had you moved out by then?
1: I would, I moved out, yeah, and, and kind of had to busk to pay the rent and, you know, eat and everything. Um, and that was fun. That
0: was and what great. was your first home on your own? And-
1: it was a flat in Leeson Street, number three. Upper Leeson Street, which is diagonal from the Leeson Lounge. Oh yeah, very handy. That oh it's very handy. Very <laughs> handy. Too handy. And um well the Leeson Lounge was different then. It was a it was a G A kind of pub, lounge, very loungy. It was lovely. But we used to go to the one next door, O'Brien's. Yeah, on the corner there. Yeah. The corner, yeah. But actually probably would have liked O'Brien's was prettier. It was more of a cottagey looking place, whereas whereas um, the Leeson Lounge on the outside, it didn't look like what it looked like on the inside. It was a beautiful pub on the inside, very kind of romantic. But um, yeah, um, and we, we lived, I, I shared with a couple, two artists and myself, and um, we'd often go out getting wood from skips and stuff for the fire. And we often had no food you know go days without food and um, didn't think much of it but then some suddenly money would come (laughs) and somebody would know a place that was open at two o'clock in the morning where you could eat where you could buy food so we'd go down the canal to the gigs place oh yeah that was first place I i first time i'd heard of that was was very welcome
0: and when you started to be successful as a musician and, and The Hollow's Flares happened and all that kind of thing, you were obviously travelling an awful lot. Would it have felt like home was the road?
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, it, when we sort of crossed that line of, you know, we were suddenly being on the radio and we're suddenly in the system. It was tough. It was a tough time. It um, felt very controlled and um, we were being worked rather than working. And, uh, we're kind of responding to the thing rather than being the thing. But, um, home was a bus then. And sometimes it was 17 of us on the bus crew and, um, and band and tour manager and that kind of thing. And we made that home and we had, we used to, disco music was a great salvation after a gig we put on, (laughs) like, um, you know, hold back the night and, uh. Everyone's a winner, you know. Hot chocolate, like, and and all of us, all men dancing (laughs) and falling on top of each other. It was great, great blowouts after after a gig. Traveling from Dallas to somewhere, and uh, and we rocking the bus from side to side and turning the lights on and off. Ah, good times. Yeah. And was
0: there? uh, Were you able to carve out your own little space of? In a situation like that, I well, do think how claustrophobic that must be and if you're are you someone who needs to have a little the time on your own or how do you how did you get that i
1: i could be i i love i do love time on my own, but those you have your bunk, and your bunk is not very big, but it it's got a curtain on right it. I'm a good sleeper, so you know you you could read there was no um computers in those days they hadn't kicked in yet, so there was very little. Videos were in the bu- in the lounge. There would be a lounge in the front and a lounge in the back, and um, yeah, you'd just disappear into your into your bunk. And it's still, you know, we, we don't do it often at all now. Maybe once every two years, we might go out on a bus, and um, I I love it. I yeah. do. I do like the. I say it's fun. It's fun. It is, and there's, it's it, there's a there's a piece involved in it. The movement, the motion, and then you're a group of people in a wavelength. We're all travelling. We're all going in the same direction and involved in the same thing. Yeah. So like the show comes into town and you strike it up and...
0: Your second album was called Home. Mm. So tell me a bit about that because there was a song on it called Home but mm. a lot of the songs like, you know, think about Christchurch Bells and mm. there's a lot of Dublin in that um, album as well but what was the... Was there a lot of talk about calling it home or what was the...
1: Not really. No, it was. it was just that one of the songs was called Home and... We said, that'll do for the title. So it wasn't a concept, really, um, just chance. And Home uh, was written through the eyes of Fígna, actually, who was who was kind of, who came up with the line, now my spinning head is slowly, slowly da- slowing down. At least my favourite, at least my be lonely bed is in my favourite town. town. And and then I wrote a song around that, kind of imagining just the vulnerability of... of of making mistakes and and hurting somebody really close to you. And um that that's what that's about. And and just home sounded. We we'd kind of People was a nice one word title and home was a kind of a nice one word title as well. That was kind of really it. And but no, it wasn't really it wasn't like we were really going Oh, home. Yeah, no, good. Okay, <laughs> not 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 consciously. You know, well, I have anyway. to ask you about it soon as this is yeah. all about home. Um, it was like our manager came in and said, "Okay, <laughs> I think the guys, you got you guys, are really all about home. You know, you should really, you know, maybe, no, <laughs> okay."
0: You are quite a spiritual person. I think it's fair to say, would that be a description?
1: Well, music is a spiritual thing, you know.
0: So where would you say is your spiritual home, say in Ireland?
1: If West, anywhere, West, South. Doan was where we we went as on holidays from sort of 1974 on every year we'd go. And from an early age, I wanted to live there. Oh, I still do. And um, and that was Well, that was a part of Ireland that a certain part of the psyche was unbroken, you know, where the native language is still naturally spoken, not resurrected, not, you know, not pushed into existence again, but actually still spoken. So, and I mean, that's only one aspect of it, but you could feel something in those communities. People are wild and kind and inventive and... Would try their hand at anything from building to boat building to fishing to writing poetry to painting to anything, anything at all, and wouldn't understand that in anybody else. And you get, you'd always get very interesting people ending up in in Dunquin, like wandering artists or from any part of the world would find a, a human kinship in mm. in in and and then Orkunemara anywhere and and anywhere in the country really. When I get out of the city, I I feel like I expand. Like just it opens, mm. I open and uh, and I'm going to go walking now. With my son on Wednesday, we're heading off to that the Camino. What are they are going to do. Are you? Where are you going starting? To do off? Two weeks of it. So we're starting off in. Well, we're flying into Lisbon, and then getting a train to I think we're going to get a train it, we'll see what conversation strikes up but my idea is to get a train then to Viana de Castella where myself Brendan Begley and Paco Deneen stayed a night in the hospital after the boat accident that happened yeah. in 2017 and where Danny also lay in another part of the hospital where for for the dead and um, and so where where Danny's wife first saw Danny, Danny's remains.
0: T- tell us about the accident, the boat well, accident.
1: The boat accident. You might the, some of you might be aware um, that there's a, there's a film going out going around at the moment called Camino and Toilet. and basically four lads went out on a boat. They started in Dublin, and they brought the the boat was made by Danny Sheehy and Liam Holden, and Danny was a big hero of mine. He was from West Kerry and I went out with him first. I was 15 when I went out with him on, on, on his boat and he used to fish. And he was, again, he was like a poet, um, a historian, storyteller, a writer, a builder, a teacher, woodworker, men, you know, he was fully everything person and um, a drinker, a fighter, a lover, uh, everything. Um, and Danny, so... And he, loved, he had a big growl for my mother, and my father had a big growl for him, and um, and was very excited to introduce his teenage son to this man, you know, as as somebody to aspire to. And oh, I remember going out with him and on the boat. And years later, he came here and he built his first boat in Cabinteely as an art an arts project. And then and that turned him on to a whole voyage thing where he used to. He used to mirror the voyages of the saints like Killer and the trips to Iona and to Greenland and Iceland and on these boats made of leather. And uh, then they decided, himself and Brendan Begley decided they were going to do the Camino. But they were going to do it by sea. It was, was known to be done by sea. And so four men on a boat. Glen Hanser joined them for one year. And a film was made and it's a great film. Anyway, Danny, I met after that year. I met him in Kane's pub in Valley And uh, he said, there's a place for you on the boat next June. And I thought, great. And I did, agreed to go and I went out and I was going to go for a week. But then mother wasn't well, so I made it into a day instead. And I met Danny and the guys we hung out in Aguarda that night. We went out the next day and instead of going out at first thing in the morning, we went out at three o'clock in the evening and whatever it was, uh, a wave took the boat and we were all in the sea for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours in the sea and um, and Danny didn't survive. And uh, that was a big, that was a big event. Yeah. And but we've all gone back since, I've gone back in the boat since and I'll, Gladly, that boat is going to, that boat will live now in Vigo, in a museum. And uh, yeah, they're still, still coming to terms with it on a certain level. But um that's the story of the naivogue Vogue. it's called, the same as the Curragh from Connemara It's
0: a beautiful film. I watched it at uh, three o'clock in the morning, sitting on a log at Body and Soul and oh, on the yeah. screen. It was really something to watch yeah. it like that. It is really beautiful. It's film. a beautiful film. I'm so sorry for... Yeah, I see your friend. He sounds like an incredible person.
1: Yeah. And so kind of, I thought that might be a good place to start. So because it is on the Camino or the Caminha Trail, which is the Portuguese side of the Camino. So we'll start there anyway. And um, we might have to speed up because the last hotel is booked in Santiago. Mm -hmm. So and the flight out, flight home is booked.
0: And is that something you've always wanted to do?
1: Yeah, I remember meeting a guy called Owen who worked in Bowlane Studios thirty years ago and he'd done the whole thing five hundred miles and I th- looked at this guy and I went, Oh my god and I could he straight away he looked like a monk from the Book of Kells and he was wearing sandals as well and I kind of went, Oh Wow And I and yeah, I mean when I thought about it I thought how great can that be? You know, once you get into your rhythm just every day walking in the same direction through country and all kinds of terrain. You know, you're walking on highways sometimes, but I love that. I love the idea. I just
0: Dingle is also home because you have a home there. Yeah. West of Dingle.
1: West of Dingle. Yeah, it's funny. People call it Dingle, but it's not Dingle. Right. It's <laughs> west of Dingle. Dingle is, is the garrison town and um, it's where you go to get, you know, the, the big shopping. But uh, <laughs> And it's become, it's become a amazing place when we started going there, it was it was a town, it was a country town. Then they they didn't like Irish in Dingle, you know, they didn't. It wasn't a spoken language. So, again, it was a kind of a border town. But um, I mean, you went for the crack, you went in for the nightclub business when you were a little bit older. And but west of Dingle is where Dad found a, a ruin and restored it and um, himself and mom lived there until until he died half the year they'd, they'd lived down there and there was a nice moment where he was he'd have his you know few mates that he'd have a pint with in the evening and uh, one of them was his name was Cullum Brick he's still around and uh, Cullum Cullum had gone to Dublin for the weekend and so Cullen was back and there were uh there was the usual country thing of, so, Cullum, how was Dublin? You know, what any news from the big smoke? And Cullum described these two guys that he saw busking. And this was, our, we were just beginning. And Dad was still kind of traumatised or tormented or worried about us. And um, this, guy, this mate of his, you know, one of his peers was describing us to him, not knowing he was, and so that was a nice thing.
0: Happen. and that sort of in some ways probably validated it for, for him, yeah. So, so it made him see it in a different way.
1: Oh, completely, yeah, especially when it was uninvited, you yeah. know. Because I mean, he got loads of people going, Sean, it's grand, it's great, <laughs> and all the rest. But when he got it, yeah, on, and there was another time actually, it was the first time Fiechn and myself went out to Busk, and I was like, We, we got to do this now because it's just we've got to start this. And um I was still at home and it was a it was a blustery day. I don't know it was a winter, but it was grey and, you know, blustery and we did the day and um at one stage somebody took a photograph. The next morning I remember being in bed and dad calling me and I'm going, Oh, what have I done now? Mm-hmm. And uh and he had the Irish Times and there was a big picture of me and Fietna busking and it happened to be European Music Day and so that was another very nice little affirmation So what we were doing. Gradually, gradually he got it. Yeah, oh yeah and then I knew, <laughs> I knew the work, my work was done when uh, I'd cut my hair and dad said, oh, are you sure now that was a good idea to cut your hair, you know, it really worked.
0: <laughs> so then he'd gone fast. We'd the lost him, yeah, yeah. <laughs> When you think about home, what does it mean to you? You're not a very materialistic person.
1: Be, we're pushed in that direction, definitely. Yeah, we're, it's expected of us, I think. But um, yeah, no home. I don't know. It, it's it's not four walls anyway. But it's it's a feeling. Uh, it's being with it's being with other mammals. <laughs> Physically, it's a bit of shelter, a bit of warmth, some food, and then spiritually, emotionally, it's being with the kids the 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 family the parents have been with the the kinship with people that you relate to that you feel you don't have to talk too much with as well i think and you can laugh with and you can cry with you know you can you can take your clothes off with <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean you you know you know you don't care yeah. right? you're you're open you're just it's just among among your own that's home, yeah,
0: Liam. you've said before that you've a high tolerance for squalor,,
1: huh?
0: and that's is that fair enough? you yeah. still feel that well, way
1: ah, I don't know, no, I mean, I appreciate a clean place and i'm I'm in a family situation now, so you know the place is is kept quite quite clean and um but I remember my brother kind of using a word from his education when opening the fridge in the house, rhizoids, you know, rhizoids are microorgan organic little things that grow. You, when you kind of think you'll never hear that word again and suddenly your brother finds it useful <laughs> and it relates to you. <laughs> yeah, we, a lot of microorganisms living in the fridge and other places. I, yeah, I remember eating. There was remember there was a jar of something, and this great orange <laughs> fungal thing had grown. I decided, feck it, I'll eat it because it looked so good. You know, the, like there are colours that tell you no, and there are colours that tell you yes. Yeah, so this, this was, was telling you yes. It told me yes. Didn't do me any harm. Didn't do me any good. But I think it was a, some kind of. I think it was some <laughs> kind of a vitamin drink that had just oh yeah turned into a, a beautiful fungus orange
0: um if you could wave a magic wand and live exactly where you could money no object not that you're that's particularly yeah. a thing but where would it be where is that fantasy home
1: well close to the sea i when i when whenever i meet somebody who even has a, an apartment or a flat or anything by the sea I, I said you've scored a victory in your life or water anyway i think the sea or river it, it I'm not sure does it have to be the sea, but the sea is a big... I love the sea. I love being near the sea. So, And, well, I like that open plan kind of lofty type of uh, thing that they do in New York, you know, where you bring your bicycle in to the house or your car. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got, you know, maybe a pinball machine. Not that I ever play pinball, but... (laughs) You know, gimmicks, the old gimmick. Pool table. like uh, Pool table in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got the piano and I play and stuff, but if I need to be moving, on the move, all right, does suit. And I'm looking forward to these two weeks walking to to feel that and to, to get a sense of that.
0: Where's the best place you ever lived?
1: Hoth. I lived in a, a freezing lodge in Hoth. On in this beautiful farm, it was a uh, an estate like Belling, the Bellingham family estate, and they had this lodge. And it was so great because you'd come you'd come home from America, and you'd come in and you just come down this hill, and the sea was out there, and and if the mist was there, Dublin was gone. You know, Dublin didn't didn't exist, and. Um, so this backed onto to the walk that went over Hoth Head as well. And that was a really, really idyllic, physical place to live. And I used to climb over cliffs and, you know, I'd, a lot of seals lived out the back as well and uh, huge, some huge seals and the odd swim at different times of the day or night, depending on who was around and uh, or what was around. And yeah, well, you know, just that elemental place to live where you were, where you were at the, you were, it was at your doorstep. Beauty was at your doorstep. Um, But this is great. I love living here.
0: What's your favourite place in this house? Where do do you go to really chill and relax?
1: Bed. (laughs) I love sleep. I I always, I've always, there's always sleeping to be done. I mean, when I, when I sleep, I kind of lie and I work with the heat, my body heat in the bed and I, I can, I sort of feel where there might be energy blocks in my body and I kind of try and move them and breathing and, you know, kind of make use of it and dreaming, conscious dreaming. There's a, there's a way if you, um, I read in a book that if you, you know, to be mindful within your dreams, if you, if you come like i would loads of times in the past would have been in a dream go, god maybe this is a dream and then i just go nah it's not you know and and then it was but actually if you find yourself in a dream and go maybe this is a dream if you grab your thumb and you pull it and it stretches then it's a dream and you know it's a dream and then you can do something and I haven't done very much, but I mean, I've flown. I've, I've, once I've realised I was in a dream, I've flown.
0: Thanks very much to Liam Whaley and what a gorgeous man he is. I'm Rosheen Ingle and remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes and tell all your friends about this podcast. Next time, I'm very excited to say that my guest on Back to Yours is actor and writer Amy Huberman. We're Joe Dolan's neighbour. Really? Yeah, that was. I didn't. I dined out, and I was about to say I dined out that, I wasn't doing much dining out. <laughs> Not really at would <laughs> Dining,
1: dining out.